Welcome to Cancer for Breakfast with Amy and Steph. I'm Amy. And I'm Steph. Though we try to make Cancer for Breakfast safe and comfortable for everyone, it may not be suitable for all audiences and is intended for informational and educational purposes only. It is not a substitute for medical advice, diagnosis, or treatment. We're not doctors. We didn't even go to podcasting school. (laughs) Hi, Amy. Hello, Stephanie. How are you doing? I am just fine, thank you. How are you? Um, I'm feeling really good. Our podcast is out and people are liking it. They are liking it. They're liking it so much that they've been sending us letters. And you know what? Now that you mention it, let's just do an episode, a short one, where we just read those freaking letters. Yeah, I mean, let's do it. We did say to people that we were going to uh, have two episodes of our diagnosis stories immediately following the last one. But I, I think it would be irresponsible to sit on these wonderful, wonderful letters. Yeah. So the diagnosis stories are still coming. Um, Mine will be on Wednesday. Steph's the following Wednesday. But since we're not doing letters during those ones, we're just doing an extra episode in the middle of the week. Yeah, you lucky ducks. Yeah, you little lucky, little (laughs) spoiled, rotten, little podcast listeners. (laughs) So so these letters, they uh, were sent to us in the email. They were sent to us via Instagram. They come Mm -hmm. many different ways. Sometimes uh, we know the people and sometimes we don't. But if you would like to be a person who sends us a letter to be read on the podcast, you can do so. You can. How, Amy? Well, if you must know, we have a Gmail and we have an Instagram. Gmail is cancerforbreakfast at gmail.com and our Instagram, which, by the way, you should just follow us on Instagram because we have some fun stuff that we do over there as well. Yeah, you really should. And it's just at Cancer for Breakfast. But enough about that. Let's get right to the letters. Thank you to everyone who has written in. These aren't even all of the letters that we have received. No. Which is, I'm just so happy that people are, are listening and we've gotten a lot of positive feedback on the podcast. So thank you so much to everybody who has shared it on social media and who has told their friends about it, because seriously, the only way anyone's ever going to hear this little thing is if they hear about it from you. It's true. And it's really hard. I want to acknowledge that it's, it's hard to share about cancer stuff and it might be hard for you to talk about cancer stuff with your family and friends Mm -hmm. but you know what like we'll do it for you yeah you can just be like hey you should listen to this podcast we'll throw our friends and family under the bus so that you don't have to (laughs) (laughs) sorry guys just kidding okay hey let's get to reading these letters we don't need to just like talk your ears off that's what the next two episodes are for right okay so I'm going to just start. Please do. Hiya. Hi. I have... (laughs) Stephanie, please stop messing me up. I'm really nervous to read a letter. Okay. I'm so sorry. 
It's okay. I'm not mad anymore. Hiya. I have the BRCA2 gene, which increases my chances of getting breast cancer by a lot. This is the one that usually hits at around menopause. I've known about the gene since I was 23. I'm 40 now and I have insurance. Yep. And well, I always wanted to get these little tigers lopped off before they killed me. (laughs) You know, a preventative mastectomy. I finally made an appointment with a plastic surgeon after calling customer service for my insurance. I wanted to make sure I could afford what insurance didn't cover. America. Mm-mm. The woman in the customer service line had had a preventative mastectomy. Good for her. Oh, wow. And assured me that reconstruction was covered. You never know. How you feel in your body isn't covered by insurance. But as it turns out, it is. <laughs> That's good news if you're in my situation and you are afraid to even ask because of sticker shock. The mastectomy doctor was great. We agreed that my breasts were no longer, quote unquote, sparking joy, (laughs) as he said, and he felt good about it. Uh, Then the reconstruction doctor was next, and he had plans for my tatas. He did a visual exam of my breasts and was holding his hands in a square like painters or film directors do (laughs) when they're finding the right scene. I could see him thinking in 3D with little numbers and questions swirling in his beautiful mind. (laughs) My boobs are like triangles. There's a word for it. But I don't care. (laughs) They're not fashion boobs. They are really just plain Jane. So because of that, he wants to put empty implants behind my muscle and then pump it up like a Reebok until it's large enough for the real thing. He also wants to add some cadaver skin to build up collagen and perk. He had me at cadaver skin. (laughs) Yes. He says it's clean. <laughs> so I just wanted to see some photos of post-op, post-op boobs. I want to see some before and after shots. Where do I find that? Not on Pinterest. <laughs> uh, where can I see clearly laid out surgical techniques and the results? I also have a drawing of the doctor's plan. So fun. She didn't include the drawing. What's up with that? Oh, rip off. Uh, you both, or I love the podcast. You both, both make me LOL, Sam. That's very sweet. Oh, thanks, Sam. You're funny. You're so funny. And good for you. Lob those little puppers off. Yeah. I, uh, I know that there is a pretty big, uh, Baraka community on Instagram. That's a fact. And, um, I have seen some really, really amazing before and after pictures and people have really been pushing back on Instagram's rules about nudity and stuff. And it is so empowering to see, um, everybody just insisting that this is information that should be out there and there's nothing wrong with, you know, showing your body if that's something you're comfortable with. And, um, it's really cool. So I do know that if you just look for some hashtags yeah. on Instagram, like mastectomy, scars, and befores and afters, th- there's a lot there to find. Yeah, I never really actually used hashtags. Like, I understood the purpose of them, but I just didn't care um, until breast cancer. And it is really useful. And I think I completely agree with you, Steph. And there's also just different um 
communities on Instagram, like the breasties. Yeah. That's one that it's like young women with breast cancer. It's more focused on BRCA and um, pre-vivers, which is what you are with um, people who are getting these elective mastectomies because they carry the BRCA gene. And yeah, they have local chapters too. So there's Instagram accounts for all of the local chapters. Um, and then they just have a national one that I, I just think it's the breasties or it might be breasties. I yeah, think. it's it's at the breasties. Mm-hmm. Okay. Yeah, they're awesome. And they do retreats and they're really cool. But if you go on there and see who's active, you can even click on the people and check out what's going on with their boobs. Ooh la la. Sometimes. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Hashtag previvor. Um, but good for you for doing that. 100%. Yeah. That's amazing. I'm really happy to hear that. Another thing is your surgeons bug them about photos because a lot of the times they do have them, even if it's not the surgeries that they have done, it could be just in the office. Yeah. They should have examples so that you know what, especially these surgeries that take multiple surgeries to do, they should be able to kind of show you. Yeah. I'm sure that they don't have a ton of patients who are super interested in the nitty gritty (laughs) of the process. But if you are somebody who wants to see every step of the way what's going going to be happening to your body that's totally your right and uh, your surgeon should be able to support you and give you the info that you need so yay go sam thank you go sam we like you you're funny um i have a letter from our friend lowry um yeah and it is just so beautiful. Lowry has been a real support to both Amy and me mm-hmm. and is somebody who's had breast cancer multiple times. And she's somebody that I know in real life and I introduced her to stuff um, and connected them. Yes. And so they know each other in, in fake life. That's right. Um, and Lowry, we just adore you. So thank you for this letter. Um, my cancer story is a long one with many parts. It's broken into several chapters, really. The, quote, ignorance is bliss, wild, youthful chapter before my diagnosis. Then the chapter where I was first told I had early stage breast cancer at age 27. Then the chapter following treatment where I pretended it never happened and went back to being a wild youth. Then the chapter where it came back to bite me in the ass two years later. Then the chapter where I grew up and met and married the love of my life at age 40 after years of searching. Then the chapter where, after months of unsuccessful attempts at pregnancy and several fertility treatments, I discovered I had cancer yet again, only this time it had found its way into my bones. There are many stories I could tell about my experiences. They've each been quite different, and I was a different person in each one. Really, the most striking similarity between each chapter is how dissimilar they are. During my second experience in 2009, I started a blog. It was a way for me to process and work through some of the sad, angry, lonely feelings, and it got some attention, some of which I felt uncomfortable about. I'd always been a somewhat private person, but I'd always used humor as a coping mechanism, especially on social media. Not many truly saw the darker sides of me or what cancer was really doing to me emotionally and physically. Only a few have ever seen me cry or seen me at my worst moments. Only a few helped me before and after surgeries or sat with me during chemo or drove me to my appointments. Only one has seen my face after being told I could no longer pursue my dream of having children. My husband, 
the one I'd hoped to have those beautiful children with. Cancer really is the most incredible filtration device. You learn very quickly who you can rely upon. It may be quite shocking to discover who will be there and also who will not be. Many revelations will be had, and they're not all wonderful. But there are so many tiny, quiet moments to hold on to. Will I ever forget my husband telling me how we're going to handle it together, or holding my hand and wiping my tears away when I was terrified and heartbroken, or seeing him show his own beautiful vulnerabilities and cry with me, or rescuing an adorable dog from South Korea who ended up rescuing both of us? Likely not. When we found out I couldn't become pregnant due to cancer, we struggled hard with what to do. There are fewer options than you would think. People always think they're being very helpful by suggesting surrogacy and adoption, both of which hold extremely low success rates for a person my age and with my medical history. Not many also realize that adoption agencies are far less inclined to look at stage 4 cancer patients as great candidates, if they even take a look at you at all. And the costs of all of these are often so far beyond the reach of what most people already struggling with rising medical costs are financially capable of taking on. So our parenthood dreams have taken a backseat to my medical treatments. We don't really know what the future holds, and it's all compounded by what the world is experiencing right now. We're at this highly uncertain place with no real answers or solutions. We're dealing with cancer during a pandemic. We're going to hospitals and getting our treatments alone, and it's so isolating, more than I've ever experienced in the past. Cancer on its own is such an incredibly isolating experience But during a pandemic where we're forced to stay away from each other, forget about it. You might as well be asking us to live on Jupiter. But we're making it work for now. We have our social media. We have our hobbies, our gardening, our baking. We have our podcast. Hello. (laughs) We have a few people we are fortunate enough to see and be near every day. It is enough for now. Hmm. Oh, Lowry, we love you. Thank you, Lowry. Man. I think something that really resonated for me with that letter is how different you can be before and after a diagnosis. You you really can be a totally different person. And it's so interesting having these multiple diagnoses. Diagnoses. <laughs> yes. At different ages, right? Yeah. It's something you've already experienced and then it's happening again. And... I mean, that's a reality for a lot of people. Yeah. And it's got to be so different, you know, to be diagnosed relatively so young. I see people in groups who are like, you know, 23, 20 when they're diagnosed with cancer. And it's just like, God, I don't even know how you manage. Your brain isn't done developing, you know, like, yeah, your friends aren't going to be able to be supportive because they're not even really adults yet. Like, how do you manage? I went to the dentist. Um Okay, fine. I had a cavity, if everyone needs to know. Um, But the hygienist lady or whatever that was Mm -hmm. there before the dentist came was, like, getting me all set up. And I think I was, like, maybe had no hair or something. And I don't remember if this was chemo. Who cares? Who cares? This isn't how you tell a story, Amy. Um, But she tells me that her son had a Hodgkin's lymphoma. I can't actually remember if it's non-Hodgkin's or Hodgkin's. I always get those two mixed up. Um, but he's like 20 or something. Oh my gosh. And he's been free of disease for like nine months or a year or something like that. Mm-hmm. And, she, and she, you know, 
it's like things in my mouth. And so I was talking about her son who has cancer or did. And I was just like, dude, if she's going to tell me about how her son died of cancer yeah. as I'm just sitting here. Like trapped. with something like just so <laughs> trapped, like please, like. Um, but she was talking about how he's so young and he doesn't want to deal with it, and he doesn't want to join any support groups, and he doesn't want to talk about it. He doesn't want to see a therapist. Yeah. What he does want to do is party with his friends, and like he's chewing tobacco, which she's like really <laughs> bummed about. I mean, oh. she's a dental hygienist, and yeah. you know, and so. I kind of sided with him, though, to her, and I told her that I understood that, but I just told her that cancer takes away so much from you, so many things. Yeah. And I can imagine being at that age where, like, if you suddenly weren't out chewing tobacco with your friends and, like, drinking beer around a campfire and staying up all night, like... I think he needs to do that. And I think he should get to do that. And yeah, I cancer doesn't get to take away your personality or your developmental milestones, you know, like, especially for people in those important life stages, like you get to be a dumbass kid, you know, like, just because you have cancer doesn't mean you're beholden to the universe to be this like exceptional person. Right. And in Lowry's case, she had a reoccurrence and then became different after that too, you know? And yeah, but I guess I'm just hoping that Lowry, like all of these experiences, I hope you don't think you did anything wrong. Yeah. Because it's just a crap shoot and you never know what's going to happen. And especially when you're diagnosed so young, it's like, yeah, 27 is, oh my God, 27 is so young. And it's not like it's fair at any stage. Obviously, it takes away so much at at any stage of your life, no matter, you know, what stage of cancer you have, what type of cancer you have, you get ripped off across the board. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, it's bullshit. But then also, you know, to not be able to have the family that you were hoping for. It's the cruelest, cruelest trick in the book i hate it so much Cancer, so unfair asshole it's unfair and it's hard either way i mean it's hard if you have kids it's hard if you don't have kids it's hard if you've always wanted kids it's hard if you get diagnosed when you're pregnant you know it's just yeah. and everybody should get what they want you should get to have kids if you want to have kids and you should get to have as many kids as you plan to have too and I just yeah I hate it um we are gonna do a motherhood episode in May if you catch my drift mm-hmm. Mother's Day <laughs> but I feel like that episode is gonna probably be really triggering for a lot of listeners and so we're gonna obviously in the show notes give a, a little warning on that but if you guys have letters that you want to talk about motherhood that you want us to include in the episode let us know because i obviously don't want to include a letter that's gonna the person who wrote it would be triggered to have to listen to that whole episode because it is yeah. such a touchy 
subject. And it's really a raw thing to have something like that. And it's hard for us, for you and me, Amy, because we're both moms. Yeah. And our kids are such a huge part of our lives. But, you know, we always do want to be really mindful of not making anybody feel excluded from the conversation or feel triggered or really bummed. Can I actually say something that when I was listening to episode two, I actually kind of cringed when I I heard myself and I was being, um, I was being very, you know, like, like glib. Yeah. And like facetious and yeah, you know, but Uh I was talking about, I think I said twice something referring to should I die? And then like, then I would orphan my daughter. You know, I was like, am I going to orphan my daughter? Oh, poor Kevin. <laughs> well, I thought that I was like, if he listens to this episode, he's going to be like, hello. Like <laughs> FYI, Kevin, she's taking you with her. <laughs> I literally sleep in your bed every night. And I like am with this child all the time. So no, if I did die, my daughter would not be an orphan. And I also just thought about how offensive that might be to somebody who um, lost a parent. Yeah. I I just think that that was like a gross word to use um, or to anybody who might be terminal and have kids. You know, like that was just me being whatever. But I don't know if that even needs to be said. I just didn't like how it sounded. No, I appreciate that. I totally appreciate that. I think that like we're going to fuck it up sometimes too. And oh we just God. have to so many times. just apologize when we do it. It's unavoidable. Like, I know this is like the hardest subject. This is why, like, I can't believe we're doing a podcast about cancer. Yeah, I know. Like that's the thing. People are <laughs> ding dongs about cancer just universally. It's a universally mm-hmm. acknowledged truth. There's, there's no escaping a cancer yeah. conversation without putting your foot in your mouth at some point. Yeah. And everybody's diagnosis is different. Everybody's at a different stage in their treatment or in their, not to say stage, um, but. <laughs> trigger <laughs> word, kidding. trigger word, trigger <gasps> Don't word. Don't <laughs> Remember when we were just going to read letters and then I, we just can't? Vaguely, we cannot resist. It's just not possible. Chatting. Is it my turn to read? It is your turn to read. Okay. Hello. Double exclamation point. Hi, <laughs> I'm Kathleen, a 38 year old woman with a with verbal diarrhea. Oh, when I'm nervous, I tend to say weird and inappropriate things. On March 4th, I was getting prepped for my double mastectomy with implants. I believed it was the anesthesiologist and one of her nurses that was in there asking if I had any allergies. Mm-hmm. They do that. I went on to rattle on about going to a male review show. Is that a stripper show? That's a yeah. stripper show, right? Yes. Yeah. So she went to a male review show where I got called up on stage and had latex gloves put on my hands. Ooh. I'm guessing they did not ask her if she had an allergy. <laughs> um, I noticed that my hands were getting super itchy. And as soon as I was done on stage, I had to go wash my hands. Now, I believe I either asked the same woman or different woman if I had to have a catheter in because I didn't want to pee all over (laughs) the surgical table. I then went on to tell the story about how when my first daughter was born, I didn't just pee all over the table while giving birth. I spray peed everywhere, (laughs) all over the nurse, like a damn fountain. (laughs) My pre-mastectomy nurse got a good chuckle out of that story and said that there was really nothing that they hadn't seen 
or had happened in surgery before or had I, happened. I believe that. Yeah. Um, I know my husband was just shaking his head at the whole time because I think sometimes he doesn't understand why stuff comes out of my mouth. So if you are nervous <laughs> and you have verbal diarrhea, I hope that you know you are not the only one. Follow my Instagram at the breast underscore truth for my Ooh. honest journey and the people who make it good. Oh, that's Aww. awesome, Kathleen. Kathleen. You're awesome. You are a riot. Don't you hold back. You're making those people's days in in those surgical units. Like having a little character, a little card like you pop up. Those people love you, I bet. No doubt. People can. I get it. You know, like sometimes it's hard to deal with, but people at my cancer center are always so delighted to like chat with you and cut up a little bit and make some off color jokes. Yeah. It's gotta be such a hard job. I have a theory about anesthesiologists. I think they're goofy and like funny people. Everyone I've met. Yeah. And I've heard a few other stories like that. I think they're just these like wacky people. So they, they loved it. No doubt. I guarantee it. Have I told the story about what I said when I was getting my, um, bone biopsy no I um had to get this bone biopsy and they gave me uh fentanyl to like you know chill me out oh I know what fentanyl does <laughs> and um they told me I would not remember anything which was a damn lie mm-hmm. they haven't met Steph's brain I remember everything and all I could think about was Prince oh yeah fentanyl I love Prince so much Love Prince. And um, I just kept calling out to my nurse who was, you know, standing by to make sure I didn't like aspirate or whatever. I just kept going, Lauren, Prince died of fentanyl. (laughs) (laughs) And she would come over and like bend down. So she was at my eye level and she would go, I know it's okay. (laughs) He didn't give you that much. (laughs) Oh, I love it. Oh, man. She should have said, it's okay. I miss him, too. I know. Can, can you turn on Purple Rain? <laughs> she probably would have. So, Kathleen, I'm with you. I also have the, I say weird stuff. Verbal diarrhea. <laughs> mm. um, okay. You got a letter? I do. And this is a funny one. I actually have two short funny ones um, I thought would be fun to end on. Great. Lovely. Let's do it. Hey, friends. Here's a case of my oncologist maybe being too good. So I'm a poet, but I'm also a literature professor, which is how I pay the bills. I also have a rare kind of cancer that's too boring to talk about. (laughs) But poetry really feeds my soul. So I was looking for some poetry about cancer. You might not believe this. (laughs) Haha, you will definitely believe this. But when you ask people if they can think of any poetry about cancer, they almost all go, quote, What is that one about raging against the dying of the light? Yeah, it's true. I've been there. Hmm. Will you just, what poem is that for the people that don't know? It's the like rage, rage against the dying of the light. I don't, I'll put it in, I'll put a link in the show notes or something. Don't, because then people will think that we're cliche and we're serious that we're trying to share it. Okay, good call. Forget it. You guys have to Google it. We're not putting that in our show show notes. It's like Lord Byron or something. (laughs) I wanted something different. So I asked my oncologist an email. I said, I know this is a weird question, but maybe you have some info. I'm looking for poems about cancer. If you know of anything, please pass it on to me. 
She took longer than usual to email back, and I thought she just didn't know any, which is understandable because you're an oncologist, Mm -hmm. and I'm a poet, and maybe the twain shan't (laughs) be. But then I got an email, and the subject line was POEMS in all caps. Mm -hmm. I was like, wow, okay, she's excited. stoked. Yeah. She's been waiting her whole career for this email. (laughs) (laughs) I opened the email, and it started, quote, Poems, all caps, syndrome is a rare perineoplastic <laughs> syndrome that is caused by an underlying plasma cell disorder. <laughs> oh my God. Oh, she was oh. on it. She was like, I've got a homework assignment. I'm going to learn all about capital poems. Oh, that is so amazing. So, anyone know any good poems about cancer? <laughs> Love y'all, Meg. <laughs> oh my God, Meg. Amazing. I love her sweet oncologist who his head is so deep in the game that she doesn't even get up to see that there's in a whole nother world out there where like, yes, people aren't <laughs> talking about medical illnesses. <laughs> I did. I think I saw something about that in the in last year's August issue of the Journal of Oncological Medicine. Oh, so, so good. Um, great. Well, I hope she finds some poems. I will look. I am also a poetry person. And so I'll look and see if I can find any that I think are good. There's a lot of poetry that's not cancer specific that I use for kind of like getting out of my head. Um, Mm. I really love Mary Oliver. Like I love anything that Mm. kind of brings you back to nature that you can look at. Yeah. The world is bigger than what's going on right in your own little brain at this moment. Well, if anyone has... um poetry that has helped you we can maybe share that on our instagram yeah make a little list of like recommended poems yeah or if you are a poet and you want to share oh yeah um please do i love that great what's the last letter the last letter is this one hi amy and steph a little humor for you okay i (laughs) i had my six month checkup today all clear yay and when i took off my sports bra I noticed something stuck to my boob. A piece of popcorn I was eating in the car (laughs) fell down my shirt. Classic. Thanks to the numbness from my mastectomy, I couldn't feel it. I quickly brushed it off my chest, but it left a mark. My doctor saw it and was like, hmm, how long have you had this spot? Busted. I had to tell her that a piece of popcorn fell into my bra. So embarrassing. (laughs) Christine. Um, I'm not trying to alarm you, but how long have you had this spot? <laughs> it's, it's, I, I ate popcorn. It's, it's just popcorn. So like 20 minutes, yeah. 20 minutes, doc. <laughs> it smells of caramel. <laughs> it is slightly tan in color. Mm, I love it. Yeah. And congrats on the six month all clear looking good. Yeah. Way to go, Christine. Keep enjoying that popcorn. Yeah. Especially in the car. Keep some know? in your bra on purpose. Oh. Why not? <laughs> yeah. Snack pack. A little snack pocket. That's right. Um, cool. Well, this has been Hold on, hold on, hold on. Oh my god, here stuff goes. I believe that you may have just touched on an innovation that nobody has yet seized. Oh. <sighs> and that is making a foob. 
into a snack pouch. Talk to me. So like, you know, the foobs that you put in your bra, the fake boobs, mm-hmm. the like cutlets. Okay. So what if you what if you just like put a zipper in there? So wait, foobs are the actual fake inserts? Yeah. I thought foobs were a type of fake boob that you can get with a mastectomy. You thought that that was like the brand name? <laughs> no, that's, you know, like there's like behind the muscle, there's fat injections there. I don't know. Like I, I didn't get a mastectomy as you'll find in the next episode where I go over my diagnosis, but I thought foob was like, I could be wrong, but I believed that foob was a portmanteau of fake boob. But fake boob being foob. your boobs are fake. Well, like, yeah, I don't know. Somebody needs to weigh in on this. I thought it was like the cutlet style prosthesis. The inserts. Yeah. All right. Well, if you think I'm right, um, share this status. If you think Steph's right, give it a heart. <laughs> That's right. Just kidding. You know, if you like share that on Facebook. And if like, you would like oh. to, if you would like to fund my <laughs> prosthesis uh, zipper pouch idea, message me privately. All right. Well, regardless of the proper terminology, a snack pack is a good idea. Thank you. I thought so. Yeah. So that's it. That's all of our letters. That's that. If you want to send one, do it. We'd love to hear it. We will be reading letters again. Episode five. Yeah. Any other? Oh, I know we said it earlier about sharing it with people, but I do just want to reiterate that it's such a unattractive thing to want to listen to mm-hmm. upon just stumbling upon it or just seeing the subject matter. So if you are somebody with cancer or that had it and you have friends or you have a community that might find it helpful or interesting, please do share it. Yeah. Spread the word. Um, you're right. Nobody is like, oh, I'm going to scroll podcasts and see. Oh, I'll casually listen to this cancer podcast. Yeah. Sounds like hell. It does. But then you open it and it's not hell. It's not hell, right, you guys? It's just medium hell. <laughs> Mixed with like a little sparkle of heaven. Yeah. Well, well, we'll be back with your diagnosis story, Amy. Yeah. Coming on Wednesday. All right. Well, thanks so much for listening to these letters. And thank you so much to everybody who wrote in and um, to the letters we haven't read yet. They're coming up too. Yes. Thanks so much. Thanks. Bye. Cancer for Breakfast is hosted by Amy Diles and Stephanie Lejeunesse and produced by Nathan McGeehee. Our theme music is written and performed by Vivivir. Find us at cancerforbreakfast.com, Instagram at cancerforbreakfast, and email at cancerforbreakfast at gmail.com. Thanks so much for listening. Thanks for listening.